Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Grace and peace. May they be multiplied unto you. This is Apostle Elliot. And um, in this segment, I would like to do part three on this series. The Lord has led me uh, to teach on regarding Matthew chapter 24. Um, as some would say, the signs of the time or the signs of the end or so forth. And in part three, um, for those who are with me and listening to this particular teaching, I'm going to focus in on verses 9 through 14 of the text. And uh, I remind you, especially if there's someone new listening to this, um, this teaching is coming from a spiritual perspective versus a natural perspective. Because once again, as believers, I remind each and every one of us that, you know, the, the purpose of our conversion to being um, believers and being the children of the Lord or seeking to be the children of the Lord is for our spiritual perfecting more so than our natural. And oftentimes, uh, even as we're on this journey that we're in called our divine destiny as believers, oftentimes we uh, uh, stray from the path in the sense of we continue to flip-flop between spiritual thinking and natural thinking. And, and in that, we'll come to find that there are so many things that the word of the Lord is giving to us that is to feed our spiritual man that we become anorexic because we always want to digest it with a natural understanding. And the natural understanding, I'm not, I'm not dismissing it because we are physical beings. However, our natural understanding always limits the full revelation that we are to get in order to grow and nurture our spiritual being. Because if we think about it, uh, our physical body has its own limitations in its development. However, our spiritual has limitless potential because it's from the source, which is the Lord God, who is our creator as we believe. And so in that then, our spiritual growth is not limited by the physical form that we're in. So with that being said, as we always say, revelation begins to speak to the supernatural. It begins to speak to the invisible. So hopefully, even though once again, many of us may have literal understanding of this particular chapter. I'm, I'm trying to touch uh, the spiritual individual to give them sight. Uh, as I said in the first two teachings, I believe this chapter is Jesus Christ giving us a pulse check of looking around and seeing natural things happen to tell us where we should be as spiritual beings in order for us to continue to walk out the journey. Amen. So with that, of course, for those who have listened to part one, I brought to your attention 
um, that the beginning of this chapter, Christ begins to identify the correlation of us being rebuilt in him uh, as temples. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19, your body is the temple of the living God and the spirit of God dwells in you. And so with that being about our rebuilding, that becomes one of the most foundational points in this particular chapter that we have to keep as the harmony line to know what it's really focusing on, us being rebuilt as spiritual beings. When we looked at um, part two, I got a little bit more into uh, this process of being rebuilt is, is requiring a mental breakdown and restoration that many people have not looked at um, in the sense of giving their life to Christ. Many people that come into the body of Christ, we just think that, you know, okay, I give my life over to Christ, uh, but we think everything is good and there's nothing more that's required. And so in that, I believe he gives us a revelation here from the spiritual perspective that even though we give our life to him, now there's some things he's got to deal with in our mind as to what the world or the physical has nurtured us to thinking and believing as our truth and now getting the spiritual understanding of it. So in that, um, uh, the ending of part two, I stopped off with verse eight, verse eight, excuse me. In verse eight, for those that have the word of the Lord with them, it says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. And what I brought out in the previous teaching is that sorrows here is not just literally understood as being grief or being sad or uh, melancholy. The term sorrow uh, from the culture is associated uh, with birthing pains. Okay, and even if you looked at the translation from the Greek, it also means birthing pains. And for those that are familiar with uh, women, for instance, as a metaphor, having a child, um, when they get into uh, specific trimesters, now they begin to feel uh, the pain of what they have uh, as a child in the womb um, to kind of give a signal that the child is still on course to have a projected uh, day to be birthed forth into this reality from the womb. So in that, that means there's some stretching and there's some pain that's involved in order for a new life to exist. And so in that, now we can understand that in the process of uh, giving our lives over to him, now we're in, an, we're in a spiritual slash mental incubation process that now as things are being changed and things are being developed on the inside of us as spiritual beings, more so than physical beings, there's going to be some spiritual pains and anxieties that occur with our, our birthing process, our development process before we break forth. So in that, I believe strongly by the revelation that the Lord has given me for those that once again are listening to me from a spiritual perspective and understanding of the text, where this is going to carry us a little bit further in that frame of thinking. Amen. So first, let me read verse 9 through 14. 
and then begin to go back and bring some spiritual revelation to the text. What the scripture says, and we're believing these are still the words of Christ for many of you, as you see in your Bibles, it's in red print. And I'm reading from the standard King James Version. It says, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. And note verse 8, this is at the time of your sorrow, your birthing pains that you're, you're beginning to break forth as a true spiritual being. He says, once again, verse 9, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. So in reading that, uh, let me take some moments of your time to just begin to um, deal with these particular scriptures in this particular teaching or setting, amen. Looking back at verse nine, he says, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. So. In conjunction with verse 8 saying this is the time of your spiritual birthing pains this is the time that you're getting stretched this is the time uh, you're going to be pulled and 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 have some things begin to start developing in you as a spiritual being he says at that time of your life shall you be delivered up to afflicted now to affliction uh, or to be afflicted now to deliver up really means to hand over or given over to so what's what's really being said in spiritual language or spiritual lingo is in the pain of your transformation uh, from being natural to really being spiritual on things to being built in him it's going to be a process that you are going to go through some affliction now I think I said this in the previous teaching before, but let me reiterate it as this is a new session, what affliction is referring to. Because oftentimes as believers, we look at pain and affliction interchangeably when we uh, read scripture um, and, and comprehend it from our natural or Western world understanding. However, to make it simple for you to understand when pain is referenced, it's referring to the physical, i.e. if I break my arm, I have pain because the arm is broken. Affliction, however, is associated with the mental, i.e. it associates itself with the emotional or the internal challenges uh, that tap into what we would call our emotions. So now having that understanding, what he really implies here is he says, when you're in the process of the transformation to breaking off your worldly religiosity and now becoming more spiritual in your religion and understand 
religion is not uh, so much as we say a denomination. The term religion from the Greek really implies the discipline of how you exercise your faith or belief, i.e. you have a system that you practice in order to exemplify or demonstrate what you believe or what you have faith in. And I, I, I clarify that to you because once again, many that may be listening to this will probably have an aha moment because usually when we ask people, are you religious? Uh, we'll usually say, what is your religion? And people will identify a denomination. But what the question is really implying is what is the discipline that you are utilizing to be consistent with what you do based upon what you believe or what you have faith in. Because think about it, the term religion is not just isolated to spiritual things. The term religion can also be associated uh, with worldly things. I.e. if a person goes to uh, work consistently, people are known to say, wow, you're religious in going to work. Uh, you're very disciplined as to the method as to how you're doing things. So that just gives you an example um, regarding this terminology of religion. So I just wanted to, to make that clear um, going forward as we continue on this. So once again, he says, they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, meaning go through some emotional anxiety, some emotional torture based upon the transformation that you're now going through as a spiritual person. He says, and it shall kill you, meaning you, the uh, flesh you, the emotional you is dying in this process or is being slayed. All right. Now, there's a colon in the verse based on our grammatical structure as a Western world. And, and watch this. It says um, in the what's basically being implied is when you're being handed over to mental anguish or, or to mental uh, uh, torture, the killing process is is being identified by way of being hated of all nations for his name's sake now let me clarify again what we're talking about with uh, um, being hated the term hated means to be rejected and detested um, and when you go back to the Old Testament in Hebrew, what's very profound is that to hate someone is not just to detest or to reject them, but it's also the term used that you drew the line in the sand that now they're your enemy or they're your foe or your opponent. So in this, what when we understand the Hebraic culture and tie it to the Greek language that's being said here, what's now being implied is once again, 
you will come to discover and some will probably say, wow, this is this is not only prophetic, this is real because I've seen this as I've started my life in Christ and my journey to being transformed, to being a spiritual person after his character. Now, some of my friends don't like me anymore. Some things now seem to go against me versus with me. And what I'm telling you is because now that you're going through a mental change or or spiritually emotional change as to how you see things and how you respond to things. Things are not responding back the way that you're being transformed. So now those things, and as I stated before, there's no such thing as a thing technically when it comes to the word of the Lord. Things are associated with words. Things are associated with sayings. Things associated with words or saying can be pe people or places. So in that understanding, then this brings a revelation to us that based upon our spiritual changing that is happening to us mentally or internally, everything that's not changing with us now becomes our foe or becomes in opposition to us. And those things now become more resistant to us versus cooperating with us. So now hopefully this gives someone listening a real revelation of what you're dealing with based upon what Christ is saying from a spiritual understanding. Amen. So in this, he says, you shall be hated or you, you'll become an opponent or become rejected or become uh, uh, in great opposition or considered a foe by all nations. And remember, the term nations means Gentiles. It means people that that are considered heathen or foreigners because they have no relationship with the Lord God that you serve, which means they are they are not in covenant with him or you as being part of the same spiritual family. So as he says that, he says this is due to the fact because of his namesake. And what is his namesake other than the fact that you're going through a metamorphosis to be shapen after his spiritual character? Remember, the, the Greek word for name is anoma, which means character. In the Hebrew, it means reputation. So what is happening, once again, in what Christ is talking about, your spiritual rebuilding, he says things around you and some of the ways you used to be now becomes a foe to you because what you're being transformed into is shaping after his character. And if those things are not shaped in his character, they become your enemy in your spiritual growth process. So what is, where does it take us now? Verse 10, he says, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Look at what, what is now being said in conjunction with what the previous verses have implied. He says, 
at this point, we will also be able to discern that many will be offended. Now, in the natural, once again, to offend, we look at that as to hurt somebody's feelings or to disrespect somebody, okay? However, once again, as I said in the beginning, this is still a spiritual conversation. Let's go a little bit deeper than how we've naturally looked at that. The, the word offend in the Greek means to become a stumbling block or to entrap. So with that understanding, he is implying as we're still in this spiritual metamorphosis of how we think and how we act and us going through, as I said in part two, this spiritual detox, then those things that now become our enemy are becoming our stumbling block. They will be the things that, that will now become what can trip us up. Because once upon a time, they were in league with us because we were in agreement with those things. But now that we're not in agreement with them, he said they can become our trap. They can become our enemy. They can become what causes us to stumble. If you think about it, that's why uh, many things of the natural become your temptation. A temptation, what, what makes it tempting to you is because it's something that you were a participant of before without resistance. Now that you don't do what you used to do, it has the potential to tempt you to doing it again and going against your Christ-like character that you're being shaped into. So in this, this is what he says now, uh, they become offended or become your stumbling block and will be what will cause one to betray another or will cause one thing or another to yield you up to being the enemy or it being an enemy unto you, which is why he says betray one another and hate one another. The word hate comes up again, which once again, as I stated here earlier, cause one to become rejected, detested, or to become the enemy or foe. So in saying that, now it leads me to verse 11. In verse 11, the scripture says, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Now what becomes very relevant in all of this is how Christ keeps mentioning false prophets in an individual's process of learning. L listen to what, what I'm saying here. Even when we're on this journey, as I call it, our divine destiny to eternity, our divine rebuilding to being Christ-like in our character, which influences our physical actions in this physical realm, what we see here is that that is a learning process. Anything that we are being changed in to adapt to ourselves is something we're learning. So 
Christ brings warning to us that every time there's something we are learning in association with his character or in the model that he has given for us to adapt to be matured or perfected as spiritual beings there's always a anti message or anti teaching that can possibly come up in the midst to distract the righteous learning effort you're in. So in this, once again, think about it. If you learn something, you have a test and the test gives you either the right answer or the wrong answer. So if a test is giving you a right or wrong answer, what's really being said in dark speech is what was your interpretation of what you learned? Did you learn it the right way or did you adapt it and learn it the wrong way? So when I, when we, we as individuals begin to understand that in our spiritual process of growth and our spiritual perfecting to mature us for eternity, the preparation process is going to require us to be mindful of what we're being taught when we're learning the lesson. This is why we have to watch out, as the scriptures say, for false prophets, or as it translates out to be in, uh, pretenders, imposters, or foretellers, all right? Because every time you have the potential to learn something good, something bad is aroused to be the foe or the adversary to re-influence you that it's the better way versus being the right way. So now that we can understand that from the spiritual perspective, we, we can we can really grab why he's he's saying beware of false prophets, beware of false teaching, beware of false warnings, beware of what is being given to you to influence the direction that you decide to follow. Um, and I noticed that I said false warnings in there as well, because even though we can understand as believers that prophets are mouthpieces uh, for the Lord, um, the thing is you have to understand also one of the other foundational pieces of being a prophet is that the prophet uh, symbolically gives the warning signal in order to uh, help prepare those that they are warning. So that means those who are operating or coming in our life with a prophetic voice, the thing is their voice is not just to say something good, but they're to give a warning uh, and give instructions of preparation for what is to come versus to be uh, Johnny come lately, if I can use that as an expression. They only have a word after you're in the middle of what you got going on. Okay, so in saying that, once again, I re-emphasize Jesus is telling the disciples, beware of false prophets in your birthing process. Beware of false prophets in your tearing down and building up. Now it brings us to verse 12. He says, and because iniquity, here's the thing, 
as, as, as I just emphasized, verse 11, that gives you the warning of false prophets in your process of being redeveloped or rebuilt. He says, and because iniquity shall abound the love of many, or excuse me, and, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, this is something very profound being said right here uh, by, by, by Jesus to the disciples. He said, based on false prophets that shall come in your developing process, the impact of your development on the course of being spiritually perfected for your eternal existence, he says, if false prophets are able to rise and influence you to deflect you from the journey that you are destined to be on, to be born or birthed correctly, he says what will happen as a consequence is iniquity shall abound. Now, first of all, let me clarify to those who may not know what iniquity is. When, when translated from the Greek, iniquity means lawlessness. But if I can really uh, bring that uh, to layman's term for you to understand, it's implying wicked or ungodly activities or actions that we perform. I emphasize that because you got to know there's a there's there's two different things that are, are that are operating sin and iniquity. Now the difference in the two sin is unrighteous thinking. Iniquity in layman's turn is the unrighteous act that one performs, which is mostly driven by sin or unrighteous thinking, meaning. If I can give you this example, if I have the thought to kill somebody, the thought is the sin. Iniquity is what weapon or action I use to physically take the individual's life. Now, in that, in most instances, they could be working together, sin and iniquity, but I will, I will give you a thought that in some instances they may work separate because in that sometimes in individuals' ignorance of sin, they will perform iniquitous activities because their understanding is that they're doing the right thing. Case in point, when you go back and you look at Saul before he had his conversion experience to Paul, Saul was raised in and around the Sanhedrin. Saul knew the letter of the law. And in that, before he was converted, Saul was enforcing the letter of the law across the land i.e. killing, putting to death, imprisoning, as we would say, Christians or believers. But in that dispensation of his life, he thought he was doing the right thing based on his understanding of the law. So he didn't think 
he was sinning. He was just carrying out an act based upon his understanding and interpretation of the law as to how he was raised to understand it. So there are some that we will find that are on the journey of being converted or walking out their Christian or believers life that may be doing things with the right intent, but they are still iniquitous activities and may not be driven by purposely sinful or unrighteous thoughts. Now in that once again, I just bring that to your attention because, you know, could it be that that is why Jesus only said iniquity here in Matthew 24 and he didn't address sin? Okay, not to say we dismiss sin, but but once again, if you're hearing me and understanding what I'm saying from a spiritual perspective and thinking about about it, you'll, you'll begin to it'll begin to uh, clarify itself that, OK, uh, I have to understand what both of those are and see how sometimes they work together. And sometimes um, they may be working apart from each other. Um, but in the same turn, I need to know what is the end result and what is the impact of either one of them or both of them in my life as a believer as I'm processing what I'm listening to right now regarding the interpretation of this text from a spiritual understanding. So in getting back to the text, he says, because iniquity, meaning ungodly actions or are activities and ungodly actions or activities once again is is what lawlessness is meaning the activities I do are not bound by any laws uh, or should I say godly laws so with it abounding he says it will increase and it becomes out of control all right um, it now has no limits it has no barriers because people feel comfortable and think that that they're doing the right thing it has been justified in their thinking in order for them to feel good at what they're doing so in this he he brings to our attention iniquity shall abound comma the love of many shall wax cold based on iniquity or unrighteous activities being limitless those things that are being done are only being done to satisfy uh, people emotionally within themselves to feel good about themselves versus satisfy what the scripture defines for us as to what love is. Uh, love is supposed to be God. First John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not love for God is love. So love is supposed to be the, uh, the demonstration or the affection of what God is within the individual. So what's happening at this point that we began to recognize in the process of our transformation, we will begin to be able to discern that a lot of things that are happening to us and around us by other people are not driven by genuine love within themselves to do it for us. Some will only be doing it for personal gain. Some will only be doing it because they've been instructed to do it and their heart is far from it. 
Okay, this is this is this is is what he's implying. He says, "Love of many shall wax cold," um, and in waxing cold, um, what what's interesting um, is the Greek word for wax cold. The Greek word that's used here for wax cold is suko, which is a variation of the word suke, which means soul. All right. So what it really says in the waxing coal, it means that the soul or the mind begins to wane or become weak or become come, uh, 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 inconsistent with true affection. There's a affection, but not true affection or godly affection. If I can, let me even touch a sidebar scripture with that. Um, I'm trying to turn quickly here to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, uh, the scripture says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So notice that Jesus had said about false prophets that shall cause people to fall away. The falling away ties itself to uh, waxing coal or being inconsistent in your thought pattern of having true love or affection towards one another. If I may give you something else in conjunction with this one verse that's very profound is the Lord God showed me this ties to the church in the book of Revelation. If you remember, John is given a message to the angels of the seven churches. Now, many people interpret that literally saying that he had a message uh, for angels and you're, you're thinking it's the sentient beings that we have described in the scriptures that are around the throne. But I remind those who are able to process what I'm saying, the word angel is the Greek word agalos, which means messengers. So he's really saying that there was a message to the seven pastors of the seven churches. Now, Note, as I'm fixing to show you something in the scripture, once again, the beginning of this chapter is about tearing down of false religion, false churches and rebuilding them. How coincidental is it that Jesus would give the same, uh, basically the same message unto John for the book of Revelation in the beginning regarding the seven churches? Watch this. In connection to what I'm showing you here from a spiritual perspective of Matthew 24 and this thing about not being true in their love in Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 is what I would like to read to you and this is Christ speaking to John the Revelator and it says unto the angel or to the messenger of the church of Ephesus he says right these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Verse 2, he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. Now, listen, listen to what he says. He says, I know your works, your labor, and your patience. 
keeping the harmony line of what's being articulated here in Matthew 24 is about your work of being transformed and about the labor that you, i.e. labor pains you are going through in your spiritual, i.e. mental transformation and in your patience. Because remember, patience is what's being worked in us where we are not birthing forth, as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, God is not rebuilding us to wrath, meaning to be tied and moved by worldly emotion. Okay, so since he's not driving us to be driven by worldly emotion, he wants us to be patient. He wants us to be, as we would say in layman's term, cool, calm, and collected in everything that we do in our spiritual maturing. So in this, he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Those who are, are, are. Uh, negative in their emotions, those who have no self-worth about themselves that, that manifest their evil or worthless thinking into wicked activities or act on uh, uh, their thinking in the area of iniquity. Listen closely, he says, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars. All right, the foundation layer. Remember, he says in Matthew 24, beware of false prophets, those who have a message. Uh, even under the apostle, the apostelos, they come with the message as foundation layers in order to not only warn, but to build people in the righteous things of Christ. So in this, he says, beware of false apostles, uh, those who are not and are found to be liars, to be false. Okay, verse three, and has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted, meaning that they, they continued until the end to, you know, the word tells us uh, in our labor to faint not, to, to not quit, not give up before the, the process is complete. So he says this, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou has left thy look at this first love what is jesus saying here in matthew 24 he's talking about false love false affection many once again are are going to be doing things around us that's not driven by genuine godly love or affection one towards another, especially in your process of developing and maturing as a perfected spiritual being. Verse five, he says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen or remember what has, uh, what was the place that you got distracted by false teaching. Remember the place that's pulled you off course. Uh, uh, we kind of get this revelation when you, when you go back and you begin to understand about repentance. Uh, I did a series of teaching on this, but for those that may just be listening to this particular teaching, um, repentance, uh, as we say, is about making a 180, which means if I start on a journey and in the process of the journey from point A to point B, I get lost where, where I am in my lost position, 
I have to turn around, meaning do a 180, and go back to the last point in the process where I knew where I was at. And that's how I readjust in my journey to get to my next point versus trying to continue to my next point while I'm still in my lost position. So in saying that, he kind of alludes to the full concept of repentance here when he says, remember your first love, meaning I will have to go back and find where I got off in regards to what affection I'm showing to others and also showing to myself according to the character of Christ Jesus in the journey. Because if I begin to, to do things in the process that no longer have purpose or intent that line up with his character, I'm just doing it to be doing it, or I'm doing it for my own personal gain, not kingdom gain, then he says I'm in the same status as this message that has been given to the church of Ephesus. So in this he says, whence uh, thou art fallen, then he says, and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. So that ties itself. Hopefully for those that are listening, you can understand and see where it ties itself to this particular verse um, that I'm bringing to your attention. Uh, um, because once again, these things of iniquity that come into the process based on who's influence, influencing us can hinder the process of our development. And we have to immediately bring ourselves back to the right mind. Like David said in Psalms 50, 50, uh, 51, uh, to, to when he came to himself, back to the right spirit, the right mindset in the process of being perfected. Amen. So in that, he says, um, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. What, what, what we, we can extrapolate from this is once again, staying in the course of our building down and rebuilding in him. Because in this enduring, he says, he that endures, meaning he that remains, he that abides uh, in him or abides in his character, make his character become one and the same will cause him or her to be able to process through any challenge that comes in the journey of their perfecting. And he says in this, watch this, you, you're, you're not going to only succeed in the process, but he says this ties to your perfecting, as I said here a moment ago, because the word in this used in the text. He that shall endure until the end. The word end doesn't mean to not exist anymore. It means the conclusion or the finale. It means the final, final place of one's journey. 
So when I get to the place that I cross the finish line, if I put it in layman's terms, he says those that endure or make it to the finish line shall be saved or shall obtain salvation because the salvation is in the process. Listen to me. Spiritually understanding is he's he's implying your salvation is working itself in you by you staying in the process of the course of being rebuilt and obtaining yourselves as spiritual individuals in Christ at the end of the journey, regardless of the test. Because, see, many people look to be saved, but they don't understand salvation in the process. Process and see if I can can give a little moment of a sidebar teaching to clarify that salvation means a continued work of being uh, uh, rescued. Think about it. Um, just because somebody gets rescued one time doesn't mean they'll never need to be rescued again. So the ED doesn't stay on the word. Okay, because every every day that we enter this life and begin to to uh, walk within a 24 hour time frame, there's something that we have the potential to be rescued from in that. So salvation broadens itself. It's not limited to one thing. It is a, a process that is initiated when we accepted Christ. And many people have to understand that. Um, the scripture says that we shall be saved in Romans, but that is an ED or end goal uh, answer based on walking salvation. So Christ tells the disciples in our process of preparing for the end of the world or end of becoming or, or existing as the sons of Adam, salvation now is a constant work. Amen. Salvation is a constant work for us. And the ultimate goal is that we will be saved or we will be completely rescued. And, and in that, he says, being in him and using his character in the process is what's saving you. That's why the word salvation in the Greek is soteria. But the root word to it is soter, which means rescuer or savior. So if I'm adopting the character of Christ in my rebuilding to be rebuilt the right way in my spiritual thinking, the right way in my religiosity, the right way in what I do as true church, then he says everything that you do in my character, then my character is, is uh, um, yoking itself to you so that it's what's saving you in the process of what you're going through that is necessary for you to totally evolve into being me for eternity. Now, in saying that, brings me back to the text. The last verse that I want to touch today, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, if I can really bring something to your attention that's really going to touch your theology, based on what I have been articulating in part one, part two, and part three of Matthew 24, technically Christ says it's a gospel within itself. 
Okay, case in, case in point, uh, I emphasize that due to the fact that certain teachings or concepts of the scriptures are considered a gospel to be teached. Now, we say gospel, gospel translate from the Greek word eungelion, which means good news. For those that can really grab deep revelation, it means God's spell, which is why it's called the gospel, the God's spell. So in that, because it's, it's something that's being preached or teach to influence the minds that's hearing it in order to cause them to have a desire to carry out what they're hearing because they now believe it and they trust it and have faith, i.e. passion or conviction towards it as their truth, which is why it's called the gospel. So in that, what does he say here? He says this, this particular gospel, Matthew 24, 1 through 14 is a gospel in itself. If not, then look back when John the Baptist was preaching. Jesus said John the Baptist was preaching the gospel of repentance. So repentance, if repentance is a gospel within itself, then we have to look and understand these verses giving us a gospel as well. If I assessed it and was putting my spin on it, not to influence anybody any any shape, form, or fashion, but I would say these verses would, would technically be the gospel of spiritual transformation or the gospel of preparation or the gospel of birthing, the gospel of the process of being born again, the gospel of being rebuilt as a spiritual being. This is what we can assess as to what he's saying here. So he says, when this gospel is preached um, in all the world, notice it didn't say around the world, it says in all the world, which goes back to something that I said here earlier in these teachings about the word world not just being limited to the planet, but, but specifically when talking um, between people, it's in reference to the sons of Adam, us being human beings or being in these earthen vessels or us being driven towards our human nature versus our spiritual nature because of the fall of Adam as we recognize and understand to some degree from Genesis. Amen. So he says when this gospel is preached within each and every individual, then he says, when it's preached within each and every individual for a witness, and that, let me bring that to your attention as well. Why does he say for a witness other than the fact for this gospel to kill you off within you? Because the word witness uh, comes from the Greek word martyrus. And see, martyrus, when, when we look at that, even though we can understand it as meaning testimony or evidence, um, martyrs is also the word that means martyr, meaning something or someone that dies. So in that, this gospel has to be preached to the minds of those who are still thinking as the sons of Adam 
so that they can die within themselves as thinking worldly as sons of Adam and now be born again to thinking as the spiritual sons of God through Jesus Christ. This is what is, is being implied here because he says now when this occurs, then the end shall come. Or should I say the finale of us being able to recognize his presence within us until we receive this way of thinking. Could it be that we have not received the presence of him that we're looking for uh, so that he can look for us? In 1 John it says, we shall see him as he is. How can we see him as he is unless he can see himself in you? We first have to really have his mind so that when he comes back to look for us physically, we already look like him spiritually, spiritually, excuse me, because the laws of physics that works both in the natural as well as in the spiritual is that likes attract likes. He's attracted to himself when you are looking like himself in the process. So this is what causes him to want to come for you when you are, are driven by having the mind to be like him. Amen. So with that being said, this concludes part three of this teaching on Matthew chapter 24. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.